so the title of my message today, I'm actually doing a part B, because I tried to preach this, How to Live a Life That You Love. Isn't that a great title? I'm going to write a book, maybe that's called that. I'm sure it's already a book, because it's a really catchy title, but if it's not, please don't steal it, because I really want to use it. <laughs> How to Live a Life That You Love, and you know, I, I, for a long time I've been wrestling with the Lord about these things, you know, because I feel like sometimes when I get up to preach, like, my heart you know, and for those of you who know me or get a little bit of opportunity to spend with me, like I like, I want to preach about revival and I want to like, I want to just go crazy up here. And I feel like every time I sit down with the Lord, um, he talks to me about these funny, really natural things. And it's, it really bothered me for a long time because I feel like, you know, Lord, I want to preach about, you know, like prayer and souls and, you know, let's start a revival. And then the Lord is like, no, you're going to preach about how to love your life. And I'm like, Lord, but I don't even care about that. Like, I want to preach about souls. And, and I asked the Lord, and one of the things that I realized is, is, you know, the reason a lot of the time why, Chris, why revivals aren't so widespread, you know, because we, we read about a lot of these old revivals, and I love to do that right? Like I love to read about Charles Finney and David Brainerd and, you know, all those amazing people, Smith Wigglesworth and, and people who've gone, you know, even further back, like the Moravians and they, people who've done amazing things. And, and one of the things that I've noticed about a lot of the time in our culture is that when we go to talk to people or when the world views Christianity, and this may be news to you, but they don't necessarily view us very highly or <laughs> positively. And, and I think that what God is doing in this, and the reason why, you know, you might come here and think like, you know, why is he teaching about this? It seems so natural. Is I believe that the reality is, is that in order for our lives to look enjoyable, our, we have to have enjoyable lives. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you go to somebody and you're like, come to my church. You know, and then like five minutes later, you're talking about like how much you hate your life, right? And they're probably like, yeah, you know, mm, I'm not thinking so much, right? But how many of you know that when people see happy people, okay, like, like I don't know if you know this because maybe you're not by nature a happy person, but by nature, it's a total God blessing and I'm so thankful to the Lord for it. I'm like an uh, uh, optimist, but like something is broken in my brain. Like I'm like too optimistic. Like somebody could cut my leg off and I'd be like, oh, it's totally cool. Like no big deal, right? And, and, but one of the things that I notice is most, the, the biggest thing that people who meet me talk to me about or, or what I would say is the word compliment me on is surprisingly not how good looking I am or how muscular I am or... You know, they're not talking to me about the great car that I drive. The thing that people are impressed with, if I could say that, is the outlook that I have on life. You ever get around a positive person? Don't you just love being around positive people? Let me ask you this. Who would you rather hang out with? A happy person or a sad person, right? And, and, and I mean, like, it's laughable, but I think that what God is trying to do in our life is get us to the place where we actually love our life to the place that our life becomes a visible testimony. Because if God is good and only good all the time, okay? Like, we know that, right? I've gone through Psalm 23, you know, and I do the funny thing, like, he leads us beside the turbulent waters, right? Remember how you do that sometimes? We know that every reference to God is not ever does God talk about himself being anything other than over-the-top amazing in every area of our life. 
that God's desire for us in every area is that we would experience, he said it, heaven on earth, right? He told the disciples, listen, pray this way, that heaven, your kingdom would come to earth. God wants our life to look the same way now as it's going to look when we get to heaven. Whoa, do you believe it? God wants that for us. And so, you know, I love when Dr. Mike was here because it was like he got me to the place where finally I could understand why it's so important that we really on purpose go after this, the, the understanding of controlling the thoughts that we allow into our mind. Because this is the thing. You ever notice that? And, and sometimes they talk about it, you know, there's, there's nature and there's versus nurture, right? Where you can have like two twins, identical twins, who are literally exactly the same per- people, like literally even down to a DNA level. Like this is the same person. But how they can have two completely different outlooks on life, right? What well, we have to understand and, and almost, I want to say it like this, grab the responsibility of is to say that it's my responsibility to determine the world that's around me. Because you see, sometimes that can be such a difficult thing to do. I, it was for me. Okay, like I'm the oldest in my family, but I actually display more baby tendencies than I do oldest tendencies. You know, somehow I think maybe I got flipped around in the womb or something, or maybe actually, like my, I'm not actually my parents' kid, but I like, they're like, oh, this one looks good. It threw me. But one of the things that I had to learn was I had to learn and accept the responsibility that my life looked the way that it did, not because of anything else. Because I tell you something, you know that God has a mil, you know, my dad said it like this, God's got a million ways to make you a billionaire. And that's just using the financial thing as an example. But God's got a million way, a billion ways in order to get anything that you want to you. There's no shortage, there's no lack, you know. Just because you live in Fort Erie or maybe some other small town or small area that you live in, God is not struggling in order to get you into your promised land. He's not. He's not. Like, I don't care what it is that you feel like God is asking you to do. He was already prepared in order to get you exactly where you needed to go way before you even knew that there was a God. He ordered all of your steps. He put every plan into motion. He figured out everything that needed to happen in order to get you where you need to go. This process, you know, don't strike you, Lord, has very little to do with God at all. It's true, because we know that when Jesus hung on the cross, he said what? It is almost finished. (laughs) He said, it is mostly finished. (laughs) He said what? I'll be back, right? No. (laughs) He didn't say any of those things. He said what? He said, it is, it's finished. His part has already been done. It's already been done. He's already figured out every step He's got plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, C, B, W, X, Y, and Z. He's already got them all figured out. Maybe you're now on double A, right, or double F. Like you've literally, right? 
God's got it all figured out. But it's for us to accept the fact that the responsibility now rests on our shoulders to take what God did 2,000 years ago and now make it reality into our life. And I love what Dr. Dr. Mike came. It was in such an amazing time. Because, you know, one of the things that my mom has been talking about so much is, you know, the Lord has this, this phrase in her, finish strong. Finish strong. That we don't want to get partway through. You know, I'm sick of almost getting to my promised land. Yeah, you know, I don't know about you. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't want to get another repeat prophecy literally never again. Right? I want to, I want to get all the way to the place that God told me I could get to. And I'm finally coming to the place where I realize that the only person who is stopping those things is Danielle. <laughs> well, the only person who's stopping those things is me. Right? That if I will, like the word says, if I renew my mind to the word, that I allow the truth of God, the word of God, to be the highest place of authority in my life. What does that look like? It looks like when I come and I experience something, right? I get a bill in the mail. I get a doctor's report. I get into an argument, whatever it is. My car breaks down. My response immediately is the word. That the reality of the word is more real to me than the current situation that I find myself in. You know, that's how, I, I love how that God gave us emotions, don't you? You know, I love it most of the times, except when they're bad, right? But I love emotions because the amazing thing about emotions is, is it gives us a window into what we actually believe. Because you realize something that anytime that a negative thing happens to you and you have a negative response to that thing, okay? Like you want something, you want God to do something in your life and it doesn't happen and you see how you respond and you respond negatively, right? Amazing. Because what just happened? It gave me a look, a look-see into what it is that I believe. It was a moment where I could really, maybe I thought that I believed. But then this moment where I respond to something, I get to see what it is that I believe. And so the, we've been talking about this a lot. In Mark uh, 10, 39, I like to call it the scariest verse in the Bible. And it says this, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life, then you're going to find it. I think this is the scariest verse in the Bible. I don't know about you. Because I realized something so intense about the purpose and the plan of God is that there's no part of me that gets to stay alive as I'm pursuing the things that God would desire for my life. That if I want to actually get to the perfect plan that God has for me, the very first step 
right, is like what Paul says, that I must deny myself, take up my cross, and follow after you. And I ask myself so many times, and, and I think that, you know, in our culture, it's so difficult for us to sometimes do this, because in our world, we are constantly bombarded by information that says the opposite, right? Jesus says, lose your life in order to find it. And the world says, you need to take hold, grab hold real tight of your life if you want to be anything. You can't let those opportunities pass you by. You, you can't let those things pass you by. You got to grab life by the horns and ride it all the way to your millionaire status. Isn't that what they say? I think. I know grab the bull by the horns is the saying. But we're constantly caught in this conflicting place where we're, we, we stand at the crossroads in our life in so many areas where God is constantly asking us to give him this next piece of our life. And this is why for a while there, the Lord had me so intensely focused on understanding why relationship with him is so crucial. Because you'll never trust someone that you don't know. That'd be like if somebody, you know, walks into the church who I don't know, they look kind of crazy, and they say, hey, I want to borrow your car. I'm just going to drive it around the block, and I'll bring it right back. Right? What would you say? Uh, no. No. But, like, let's say if Sandy came up to me, which she does sometimes, he's like, yo, I need to make a dump run. Can I borrow your truck? I'm like, yeah, man, whatever. Why? Is it because Sandy is a different breed of human? Well, he is. Yes, you're right. That is true. Bad example. But it's not like Sandy is a homo sapien and the crazy man who walked in off the street is some different breed of human being. No, they're fundamentally the same. The only difference is, is I know Sandy, so I trust him, so I'll give him whatever he asks for. The guy who walks in off the street, I don't know him, so I don't trust him. I don't know, maybe he's going to steal my truck. You see, so often what happens to us is that we're walking down the road with God and, and God, you know, things are going great and going great and, you know, we're sacrificing and doing something, but there always comes this moment. And for those of you who've only had like one or two of these moments, I promise you, they keep coming. You know, like sometimes you feel like this is it. This must be the last test. The last thing that God is asking me to, it's not. And I, I probably have thought that like a hundred times so far. I'm like, surely God, you can't ask me for anything else. And then the next day he shows up and he's got something new. But you see, so often what happens is we're walking down this road with the Lord and it's going good and he's asking me to give and he's whatever. And then there's always comes that moment. We're all very familiar with it. Where he asks something from me that I feel like if I give this to you, my life, the way that I thought that it was supposed to go, won't be able to go that direction anymore. And I feel like that's this moment that we encounter in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus is making this statement to us saying that if you lose your life, you'll find it. Is that so often what we want to do is we want God's plan mixed with our plan. We want God's ideas mixed with our ideas, and we're happy with it. But the thing is, is that there's a dream, there's a God dream in your heart that cries out for exactly what you were created for. 
And the God dream for your life, by nature, can't have any of you on the inside of it. And so, as I begin to ask the Lord this question, and I'm almost done. As I begin to ask the Lord this question about how do we navigate through these waters? Because it's one of those places that I find that there's very few Christians who are daring enough to enter into the waters of losing your life to find it. You know? There's a lot of people, you know, and I'm sure that I've done this in a lot of areas, who are kind of happy living on the surface, but as the Wednesday night crowd, the extracurricular crowd. I'm sure that you're dying to know, not dying to know, you're living to know. What's the secret weapon that I can use to fight this thing off? And as I began to ask the Lord this, because for those of you who know, as shocking as it may be, I also am human. And I do need to know these things. And the Lord, um, he took me to Philippians 4. And he gave me what I think, at least for my own personal life, was the key to getting through these things. It says this in Philippians 4.11, not that I ever was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. You can say a lot there. I think this is the second scariest scripture in the Bible. <laughs> I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. I think understanding contentment is the key to losing your life. Understanding what it feels like to be okay that your life isn't everything that you know it's supposed to be in the future but being okay with the fact that it's not all of those things today. That I'm not waiting to love my life when I get there. I love my life today as much as I'm going to love my life when I'm living in the fullness of the promise. That my happiness or my, the, the love that I feel towards the, this day that God has given me is not based off of things, situations, people. It's not based on status or stuff or power or money. The love that I have for my life transcends anything natural. And so you're asking yourself, all right, Paul, what could you possibly have gone through? in order to have this kind of a credential to tell us about this. I mean, I'm sure that as one of the greatest apostles, you must have lived pretty well a seamless life. This is what it says about Paul. I have worked harder. This is horrible. If this is like your resume, you've officially lived the hardest life. So this is the guy, let me preface, this is the guy who just said, right, in every situation, I'm content. Like, Whatever is going on in my life, okay, like you think your life is bad, okay? Maybe you don't. Maybe you think your life is great. But we all think our life is bad in some areas. Paul had a horrible life, okay? But he was the guy who says, I, the reason that I'm able to keep moving forward is I've learned how to be content. This is what he says. I've worked harder. Haven't we all said that? Yeah, right? That's a dangerous guy there. Been put in prison more often. (laughs) 
it gets worse. Been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods and once I was stoned. Not the good stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the desert, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and endured many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothes even to keep me warm. But yet, I've learned the secret of living in every situation and that is to be content. So, my closing. How do you live content? If contentment is the key, right? Contentment is that thing that allows me to face situations, particularly negative situations, right? You don't have to practice contentment when everything is going good, right? We practice contentment when things aren't going good. And so, five simple steps to live content. Number one, Plan for the future. You should write these down. I don't very often say this because, like, I preach good things, right? But this, write this down. Number one, plan for the future, but live in the present. Plan for the future, but live in the present. So often what we can do is that we plan for the future and we also try to live in the future. We think that our life needs to be right now what I want it to be in the future. And because it's not, I am therefore discontent. Right? Plan for the future. Do those things. It's responsible. But live in the present. Right? Plan to win and not to fail. Right? That's a huge thing for, for, for practicing contentment is, is go into situations thinking that things are going to turn out well, not thinking they're going to turn out bad, right? And also, sub-point number A, right? Get uh, accustomed to dealing with character issues, right? Things that in the future you know are going to potentially stop you up from getting to the place that God wants you to be, right? Live, live now. Right? So often we try to live out there. We try to, you know, we're, we're so constantly stuck in the future of the way things are going to be that we forget that there's so many things happening right now that are amazing. The second thing to live content, again, I said, these are crazy natural things. Number two, create a bucket list. Okay? Feeling like you're going nowhere creates discontentment. Everybody needs to have a list of things that they want to accomplish short-term and long-term, right? If you only have long-term goals, chances are you're going to feel discontent. You need to create something in your life that you are seeing constantly, almost on a daily basis, that you are accomplishing amazing things, okay? Set goals. The scripture says that people without a vision, they perish. Number three, this one is huge. Practice gratefulness. Practice 
gratefulness. They say that thanksgiving is the language of faith. I mean, if you go online anywhere, and I love to do this, I love to study out like people's lists of things that successful people do. And almost on every list of every topic that you will read, there is somewhere in that list going to be something about practicing gratitude. We have to remind ourselves all the time. Because I tell you, every time that we turn on the TV, sometimes we walk in the street, the world wants to remind us constantly of the things that we don't have. And it's really easy to get stuck thinking about all the things that we don't have. You know, that's sometimes like the difficult thing about living by faith is that in order to, you know, I say this all the time, in order to know where it is that you want to be, you, be, you have to confront yourself with where you are. And sometimes the enemy wants to try to use those things in order to make us feel discontented, right? Instead of realizing that my job today is to focus on being thankful for everything that I have today. It's one of those things that I think about all the time, right? Is when I'm trying to give myself a pity party, right? Immediately, my mind goes to this simple fact. Somebody today has a worse life than I do. That there are people living right now that wish their promised land would look like my bad day. There are always things in life that God has already done that I can be thankful for, right? Miracles that God has done, situations that God has turned around, dead things that God has resurrected. There's always things to be thankful for, but we must practice thanksgiving. That's why you read about King David when he says, I remind myself. Because it's so easy to get stuck thinking about the things that we don't have. So we practice gratefulness. What does gratefulness look like? Gratefulness looks like, instead of what can I get, gratefulness says, what can I give? One of the worst things that we can do as human beings is spend the majority of our day focused on our own life. It's like, you ever notice that? The more that you look in the mirror, the more you see is wrong with your skin. Anybody ever notice that? Right? I mean, women, right? Not, not me. I don't look in the mirror ever at all. Like sometimes you see those like ultra magnifying mirrors and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, how can somebody even see? Right? The more time that you spend looking at your life, the more that you see is wrong with your life. That's the truth. People, if, I'm telling you this one simple fact. If you want to start to feel better about your life, start to focus on meeting the needs of other people rather than trying to get God to meet your own needs. There you go. There's your nugget right there. Kablow. Right? Let your mind blow. This is the reality of, of what it looks like to be grateful. It's not just to say, thanks, Lord. But gratefulness looks like something. It looks like being the miracle in someone else's life. Instead of looking for someone else to be your miracle, 
Go be the miracle to somebody else. Okay? Focus on the good, right? Focus on the good. And this, don't complain about things that you aren't willing to change. Let's just say it out there for a minute. Don't complain about things in life that you aren't willing to change. I tell you something, if there was anything that I realized being and sitting with Dr. Mike was that there's no such thing as an idle thought. Every thought that I think is either solidifying something negative or solidifying something that's good. The more time that I spend with whatever thoughts are the way that I perceive the world that's around me. If I spend more time thinking about, complaining about, talking about, worrying about things in my life that I don't like, I tell you something, my outlook on life is going to be very negative. If I want to begin to love my life and enjoy the things that God has done for me, the very simple thing is, is to focus on all the good things that God has already done. Simple. And what it does in me is it allows my heart to come alive. Okay? Number four, give only, wait, give to others only what you would want back. Give to others only what you would want back. You want some money? You should give me some money. <laughs> you want love? Give love. You want friends? Give friendship. You want people to talk nice about you behind your back? Give only things that you would want. We read it in the scripture. Right? Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. You want to feel good about your life? Sow good things and watch all the amazing things that start popping up all around you. Simple. Whatever you want in your life, choose to sow that thing. And number five. This one's my favorite. Embrace simplicity. Embrace simplicity. Never confuse pleasure with happiness. So many people do that in our culture, right? It feels so good to buy a new pair of pants doesn't it? That's what our world does. So now I equate buying new pants is what makes me happy. Pleasure is not the same as happiness. People become addicted to pleasure because they don't understand how to pull happiness out of them. Joy 
right, which is happiness. Happiness is the emotional expression of joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that is already on the inside of us, but what can happen is, is that the only emotional highs that we can get sometimes as human beings are the result of getting something or doing something or, you know, drinking something or taking something or, and so we confuse momentary pleasure with happiness. Pleasure can never satisfy you like happiness because the high that it creates always fades. What does the scripture says? Joy lasts. Never confuse it, right? Embrace simplicity. Happiness comes from the inside of us. It's a conscious decision to choose what is good. All pleasure can do is amplify things that are already on the inside of us. If I think my life is good, pleasure will make me feel better. If I feel like my life is bad, pleasure will bring me up for a moment and then it will take me down deeper. Never confuse them. Five simple things. But I promise you something, if you will employ even just one of them, put one of them into practice in your life, it's going to change things. So Heavenly Father, thank you for making things easy for us. That your desire is not just that we would spiritually be strong, but your desire for us is that we would emotionally and physically and mentally be strong. That you gave us keys and skills in order to love the life that we have. You know, one of the things that I know, so you could open up your eyes. One of the things that I tell people all the time, this is, I promise I'm done. 826, it's early. Please, people, don't pressure me. It's still early. Just kidding. One of the things that I tell people all the time is that the most difficult time in order to develop faith for something is when you're in the midst of a crisis. So often the reason why we fail in Christianity and in our faith process or faith cycle is that we're constantly trying to develop faith for something in the middle of the crisis that we're having. Like we know that they're going to turn off our power in three days. And so now it's like, boom, you know, I really need to get the revelation that, you know, God is going to prosper me. And then we hype ourselves up, hype ourselves up. And then three days later, it doesn't happen, right? Happen to anybody else besides me, right? This is where practicing contentment comes in so handy in our life is that we never experience the crisis. We live our life totally happy exactly the way that it is. It's one of the biggest things that I tell people when I, they're talking to me about walking and living this life of faith. I say, do whatever you need to do in order to get yourself out of crisis to the place where you're just content with the way that you are and then start to go after understanding faith. Because as long as you're in a crisis and you think things need to change right now, you're never gonna get there. Okay, does that make sense? That's why I'm talking about this. So Lord, thank you. You're so good. We just receive this right now. Just put your hands out. I really believe that after Dr. Mike came that there's a real 
because this is all about understanding how to finish strong. Because one of the things the enemy loves to do is that when we're at the finish line, he loves to try to bring up discontentment for us to feel like we need to change something. I need to do something. I'm not happy with the way that life is right now. And we're literally standing right at the finish line. And so Father, right now, Lord, each of us, Lord, we choose as an act of our will to receive this place of contentment. Lord, like what the Apostle Paul spoke to us about, God, that we understand and we're actually happy to live in the good and we're also just as happy to live in the bad. That we don't serve you because you're going to do something for us. We serve you because we love you and we're willing, Lord, to go on this journey with you. And so, Father, right now, Lord, I'm declaring over each and every person as we step into this new year and this new season, God, that you would strengthen us to continue down the path to what you're asking us to do. Right now, we choose as an act of our will to reject the lies of the enemy that would try to make us feel as though we could do life better on our own. That we have to take control of our own life. We have to do our own things in order for God to move. We reject the lie that says God's never going to do it. He's not good. He doesn't care. We reject those lies and we choose as an act of our will right now, Heavenly Father, to embrace the simple fact that you are good and that you have a plan and that you're on the throne, that you're not being taken, taken back. This is not a surprise to you that we're experiencing what we're experiencing, but we renew our decision and our desire to go on this journey with you. And I thank you for it, Lord, that each of us, Lord, I declare that we are finishers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.